0: You know, when talented people write badly, it's generally for one of two reasons. Either they're blinded by an idea that they feel compelled to prove, or they're driven by an emotion that they must express. Conversely, when talented people write well, it's generally for one reason. They're moved by a desire to touch the audience. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me, and now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. It's nice to be able to talk to you directly again. It has certainly been a while since I've done a solo episode. If you haven't listened to a solo episode before, make sure you have a notebook ready or download our podcast reflection sheet because we try to give a lot of bang for your buck in these episodes. If you're not sure where to get the podcast reflection sheets, we do them for every episode. Just go to artofcoaching.com. Forward slash podcast reflections. It is the easiest way to make sure that you're actually getting the tips and tricks from each episode in a digestible format so you can remember it later on or share with your staff. So, this episode, what are we getting into? A lot of questions have come in about writing a book and self publishing versus traditional publishing, which way to go, anything like that. It only made sense to do a podcast because I literally have answered this over and over on email, and I always feel like I'm doing people a disservice because it's such a complex topic. And so I just had a consulting call with somebody on this, and I thought, all right, now is the time to do this episode. So if you've ever thought about writing a book, either now or in the future, and your mind's racing with questions regarding the process whether you should self-publish, what mistakes to avoid, what have you. Anyone who's thought about going down this path generally describes this anxiety about having an idea that's been gnawing at them for a while. And, And maybe it keeps you awake at night and the procedural overwhelm of it all is driving you a bit crazy. And trust me, I get it. When I wrote and launched my first book, Conscious Coaching, I was saturated in naivete. I mean, literally, there is a tremendous amount that I have learned since then. And now, as I record this, I'm actually in the process of working on a second book. So it's made me reflect on these things a lot more. And it seems like you and I are not alone because, like I said, I've gotten tons of questions about these things. And I get it. You know, Writing a book can be such a unique exercise in self-awareness. I don't mean to sound dramatic, but it really is like, peeling a layer of yourself back, and you're putting this thing into the world, it's pretty scary. It is. It's, it's the ultimate form of self-awareness of thinking, what do I really know? What do I think I know? What am I comfortable putting out there? And, and these are tough questions that you've got to be able to ask yourself. So in this episode, I'm going to give you the good, the bad, and the ugly on what it takes to make your book a reality, you know, and we'll talk about all the procedural steps along the way. Here's your warning, however. I'm biased. And maybe even a bit pessimistic. Now, the reason I say this is because one, we all have some biases. That's just common sense. You know, so that that shouldn't surprise you. That should be a given. And two, because the internet is filled with tips on book writing and publishing that really reinforce this notion of almost blind hope. And you can do it mantras, which are great and sometimes very much needed, especially in the process. But it can reinforce a lot of tactical blind spots that may lead you astray when it comes to writing or self-publishing your book. Also, I do not know it all, right? Now, what I'm about to go into though is a situation where if I tell you how my first book did, then I'm bragging. But if I underplay it and say, oh, it was all luck and whatever, then I'm clearly lying to you. So for the sake of you that don't know me, you know, or haven't heard of my book, Conscious Coaching, and wonder why the hell I should even give advice on this, I'm just gonna share this. And again, I'm not trying to brag, but it just makes it some sense to be able to say, hey, this is why I think I might be able to be helpful. So fortunately, despite me having no book or literary agent for my first book, no backing of a major publisher, no newsletter, I didn't have a podcast then, I didn't really have a large social media following, anything like that, it, Conscious Coaching has gone on to sell nearly 200,000 copies. It's been translated into five languages, it's on audiobook, Kindle, it's become adopted by several universities, and it's crossed over into the business world. All of these things I'm really grateful for, right? I'm really grateful for those things. It became a top 100 bestseller overall, it was number one in sports coaching, number eight in the business category, and at one point in time, it was even ahead of the likes of Phil Knight's Shoe Dog and even a Tony Robbins book. That was all very crazy, but it's also very uncommon. I'll be straightforward. I have no illusion of thinking my second book is going to do that. Maybe it does. I don't know. You know, maybe it does those things and and great, but I I'm not expecting that cuz I wasn't expecting these things and sometimes something just hits, okay? Um and I might create a lot of enemies even just saying those things cuz whenever you tell somebody how it, it, that something did well, you know, they can almost flock and and start giving negative reviews because they hate that. And, And these are things that you'll deal with and we'll talk about later. But the point I'm trying to make here is while I may know a thing or two about this stuff, nothing's foolproof. Like I said, I'm fully aware my next book could fall flat and it also should not really be the benchmark regardless of why you choose to move forward on your journey. You know, much like the factors that contribute to an elite athlete's performance, creating a timeless piece of creative work is really too complex to be broken down to a simple one size fits all formula, right? Like when you start writing or publishing these things and and working in this space, it's neither rigid mechanics or flimsy gimmicks. It's like a flexible concert of your own style. That's true to you and also digestible to the audience. So even writing a book, I I could care less if yours sells 10, 10, 10,000 or 10 million, just understand that even writing a book is a huge accomplishment as the you know the the majority of people that read books and then trash them, they don't even have a semblance of the perspective of what goes into this type of stuff. So whether you've just written one and and it didn't go like you wanted to or you did and you found success success, take a moment and and just celebrate that you wrote one. It's something I didn't fully do for three years. I let the relative success of my book create a lot of guilt. That was something I absorbed initially through some folks in my community, because you're not supposed to write a book, let alone at 30 years old. Um, So I never really celebrated that. And that's not healthy. It's not, you know, and, and I'm, I have many imperfections and that was very much one of them. I have trouble accepting compliments. I'm not impressed with myself, but I've tried to get better at celebrating small things like that, whether they're successes or losses in the public eye, because just doing it is huge. So, Know that before going in, and we are about to cover everything from the ideation process, figuring out which publishing route you should go, and how to get people to rally behind your work. Also, before we start, I want to tell you something else that's pretty cool and I think would provide some value to you. If you're someone who very much enjoys face-to-face interaction, connecting with people, finding ways to have deeper conversations about really subjects that are most important to you, then make sure to go over to artofcoaching.com forward slash channels. That's artofcoaching.com forward slash channels. We created something that is social media free, thus distraction free. It's highly interactive and it's a deeply personal community where coaches and leaders of every age, profession, experience level can connect. And it's also where I'm going to be dropping exclusive content weekly that you're not going to get on the podcast or my social media. We really try not to repeat stuff. And we try to provide something for every budget and every person. We didn't want to do some convoluted membership site. We didn't want to just do Facebook communities and all that. We wanted something literally where you can interact. Cause I don't know about you guys, but I miss that. I miss being in front of of people and in front of folks like you where I can talk. So I think you'll love it. Artofcoaching.com forward slash channels. Okay. So here we go. Kicking off, writing a book anything. And even if you're just, Hey, no, just get to the publishing piece. You've got to start here. I'd, I'd urge it. Right. Should you write the book? Right. Cause that's the first thing, no matter what you want to do, self-publishing, traditional publishing, you've got to write the damn book first. And you need to ask yourself, should you write it? And I'm going to quote Robert McKee here. He said, originality is the confluence of content and form distinctive choices of subject plus a unique shaping of the story. Now, what the hell does that mean? Simple. You know, some people want to write a book for a variety of reasons. And then some people, you know, kind of talk themselves out of writing it because they're like, oh, it's nothing new. People have said it. You know, you got to understand that that shouldn't really stop you because there's always somebody else that would rather hear you tell your version of a story or you share your thoughts on a subject. You know, those things are huge. But when I also say, should you write it, I want you to understand that writing a book can be very helpful or it could absolutely destroy your credibility. It could, and most people don't think about that. Hear me out. People don't always approach stuff with the right intentions. They want what comes with it, but they don't really put the time, money, or heart into it. And oftentimes, I see people who really just want to write a book so they can build a speaking career or a brand. And the the issue is, is you can only fake credibility for so long, if you're writing, if you're just kind of mailing in your effort for a book so that you can get it in front of audiences and you think they're going to hire you to speak, that ain't how that works. And even if you do fool a couple, I mean, eventually people are going to read your book. And if your book's crap, that word's going to spread really quickly. And also guys, this thing is going to outlive you. It is, it's going to outlive you. So don't, don't mail something in just because you want something that, that comes with it. That's not how this works i mean it's a dime a dozen the amount of people that reach out to us over email that you know they have this pitch for this book they just wrote and it's almost the same book rewritten again and again and again it's you know find your best self and this and that and whatever and it's it just looks like a collection of motivational quotes thrown into a book and they took a picture of them you know in a suit And now, you know, Hey, can I get on your podcast? And, and we have to vet those things. We have to vet those things highly. And you don't want to be that guy or gal, you know, it's just, it's, it's not a good thing. You want to write something because it really is eating away at you. Uh, Another McKee quote is, you know, when talented people write badly, it's generally for one of two reasons, either they're blinded by an idea that they feel compelled to prove or they're driven by an emotion that they must express. Conversely, when talented people write well, it's generally for one reason. They're moved by a desire to touch the audience. And I know this because I learned this when I first wrote Conscious Coaching. I was almost kind of writing a book that, you know, I knew I wanted to write something that talked about the importance of communication and how we're losing the ability to really connect with people in the digital age and it's getting silly. And, you know, people are becoming way too reliant on tech, regardless of the field. But for a while, the book almost read like a master's thesis or a dissertation. It was very dry and argumentative and overly research based. And I remember my editor just saying, do so you want anybody to read this, but that's what McKee meant by saying, Hey, they're blinded by, they feel uh, an idea they feel compelled to prove, you know, there, there were people in the sports science community in the performance realm that didn't like this idea that I was trying to operationalize the art of coaching really unearth. A lot of the research that underpins it and the fact that communication is extremely well researched and vetted by the scientific community because it took a lot away from their narrative that no, 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 you know, training and data is all that's important, or at least that's how they perceive that. Um, And so you want to make sure and, and just take a step back and say, what do I really want the audience to feel? What's the main goal for this? What problem will it solve? Who is it for? And also, guys, you know, do you have the time necessary to commit? to do it right. And, and the budget, you know, there's people, we have programs and, and other people do as well that people will say, Oh, you know, I don't have the time and money to sign up for this course or what have you. But then they'll hit me months later and say, I want to write a book guys. I'll come out of the gate and say it conscious coaching wrote, took me $25,000 to write. And I didn't have $25,000 just sitting there. That's not money that I made for a very long time in my life. Um, and if you think that you're going to write a book, especially a book that lasts and what have you, like on a very, very cheap budget, stop right now, you know, just stop like, cause this isn't, this isn't a podcast episode for like somebody that wants to do just a quick ebook, right? Like somebody that just wants to do a quick ebook that is, you know, five ways to deadlift more weight or three ways to become the real estate broker of whatever. Like I, this is a, this is an episode for people that want to write a book book, and that's going to take a lot of money even if you did it at the most budget level and we'll go through what all these things cost you're still going to be in the thousands of dollars so i'm urging you now if if you are somebody that generally uses i don't have the time and the money don't write a book quit listening to this episode because writing a book especially a good book takes a lot a lot of time and money a lot of time and money so i just want to put that right there and be straightforward um if, if, if time is an issue, understand that, you know, there's also options to use ghostwriters. You know, I didn't do that with conscious coaching. I conscious coaching. I wrote myself. That was something that was very important to me, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong to use a ghostwriter. You know, I I think a lot of times people have a, a twisted sense of what that is. And I did as well. Um, and even though I, I didn't use one for conscious coaching, I I learned a lot about it and, and and guys when you hear about your favorite musician or a president or you know an actor or something like that uh, or a podcaster writing their own book usually they are using a ghostwriter you know and a ghostwriter can be somebody that they have conversations with you or you know you've done written work in the past and they take that and help you you know organize that it can come in many forms it's not like somebody just makes something all up for you. It, it It is your ideas. You know, I've had friends that use ghostwriters and, you know, they'll meet with them two to three hours a week and they'll break things down into topics and they'll talk and there's ways that you can do that. So that's an option. You can also use transcription. You know, there are services like Rev, and they're not sponsors for the episode. I'm just giving an example where you can talk into your iPhone or your Android, for that matter, or your computer. And if you feel more comfortable talking some things out, you can then pay to get that transcribed. So I've known people that have time constraints, but maybe when they're driving to work or, you know, maybe when they're they're having morning coffee or what have you, they're able to, to talk some things out. Now, of course, there's going to be a ton of editing. It would be horrendous for anybody just to think that they could talk, get it transcribed and make it a book. But believe me, it exists. But there's a lot of ways around that. But you have to ask yourself, do you have the time, the tools and, and the finances to really be able to commit to this? Because that's a huge thing. All right, let's get in tips for the writing and editing process. When we look at writing, you know, first things first, find a good writing space and keep it simple. Try to have as few distractions as possible. I know that's hard. Also, you know, don't get overly formal. People will pepper you with advice on rigid rules on outlining and creating the plot but sometimes it's really better to focus on the story you're trying to tell. What's the main conflict, you know, you're trying to help somebody overcome. And this, this is irrespective of whether it's fiction or nonfiction that you're writing or, you know, what situations do you want to put the protagonist or the reader in to help figure out what solutions are you going to provide? Essentially, what is the what if question, you know, for, for conscious coaching, a lot of what I was trying to provide is what if we started living in a world where leaders and coaches literally thought data could do the job for them instead of actually knowing how to adapt to the person and personality and and their perception of the individual in front of them. I mean, like, imagine that imagine if, if we kept going down this route of thinking that tools and toys and technology can replace human interaction instead of us creating this symbiosis. Imagine if we live, what if we lived in a world where nobody was ever taught how to communicate better? Like that's really scary because we're spending less time face to face with one another and that was a huge what if questions that's why even with our channel stuff that i mentioned earlier you know we wanted personal interactions through a video first experience if we can't get in front of you let's do video it's it's community driven like you tell us what you want to learn we do weekly q and a's communication is critical for crystallizing you know a, an action and a behavior and buy in and and improvement and so that was a lot of what i thought about like what is the what if question i didn't worry about getting in this you know immaculate uh table of contents or what have you cuz your stuff is going to change i promise you your stuff's going to change just think about what is the what if question what are some stories you want to tell find what works for you in that standpoint some things that i tried i had tried scrivener this was this app or this service that was apparently supposed to make outlining a lot easier. I think for some people it does, it allows you to move like these index cards and things like that. That didn't really work for me. Um, I ended up just using good old fashioned Google docs and, and grammarly. We do another tactic where you can even get, you know, just uh, sticky notes and you can write, you know, just as they come out of your head, write down to words and themes and and ideas that, that come out lay them on a table, and then start to pair ones that are common. And then you'll start to get an idea, okay, I could structure this, and this word goes here, and and all. There's so many unique ways. Just figure out something that works for you and start thinking, what is the problem to solve? Who is this for? Who is this not for? And get a get an index card and put it right in front of you and say, right, what am I trying to say? Just what are you trying to say? Because you'll get stuck sometimes, and you'll be like, "I'm trying to say blank." Oh crap, that's it. Pop 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 and then you start typing. Right, that's a huge piece. Also, keep a notebook, whether it's physical or digital. I keep one in OneNote, and it's where I, you know, kind of stack ammo for reanalysis. I'll put quotes and ideas, and if I see something, whether it's a billboard or or an axiom that I heard somewhere else. I'll write it down and I kind of go back and I think, well, what would this fit in this book? Would this work? You know, what Stephen King calls this is he says it's about immortalizing your bad ideas as well, because, you know, you'll stack these thoughts and ideas at one time that you think are good. And then you'll go back and you'll be like, oh my Lord, I am really glad I did not include that. Um, but you want to have this centralized repository of, of ideas, even if that means keeping a notebook on the side of your bed and waking up and writing it. I mean, Eminem, is, is famous. He was on 60 minutes. He is famous for literally putting sheets of lyrics, like legal pads, notepads. Um, he's, he's written it on napkins. He's had parking tickets and he puts it in shoe boxes, literally shoe boxes. And when, when he's trying to get creative ideas or what have you, he'll literally go into these shoe boxes and dig through all these pieces of paper and he can just start stitching ideas together. And, that works that's that's a tangible thing for him, right? Another thing when you're writing is make sure that you're reading other stuff, but not obsessively and what I mean by that is reading reading helps your writing you know it it uh, digesting other people's content helps you, okay, yeah, like I like his use of voice there or I like her story there, or huh, that's an interesting fact. I want to dig deeper, and somebody might lay out some research in, in their book that you wanna learn more about, and that might take you a rabbit hole into a rabbit hole of some other research. So make sure you're reading, (coughs) excuse me, and digging deep, but there's a fine line guys to a point. I also have to quit reading when I'm writing because otherwise you can start to sound like somebody else. You absorb their voice. I don't know how many of you listening have ever gone to another country or another region in the country that you live in or what have you, And if you're there long enough, you start to like pick up a drawl or a twang or a little bit of that accent. And you can do that same thing as a writer. And sometimes it's not bad, but you just want to make sure that you're not just like going down this perpetual rabbit hole where now you're trying to make your book somebody else's, you know, that's, that's tricky. So there's a lot of pieces there. Just figure out what that story is. And and at the end of the day, write what, you know, (laughs) you know, write what, you know, when, when I wrote conscious coaching, there were some people that were like, Oh, stay in your lane, you're trying to be a psychologist. Not at all. Never once do I try to diagnose people in any kind of clinical manner. What I do do is tell a story about how I was hospitalized and nearly lost my life and was down to 87 pounds with heart, kidney, and liver failure, nearly all those pieces at risk of cardiac arrest, the one-size-fits-all kind of medical care I got, and then my experience of how I took that and used it to train and coach athletes and now executives and, and folks in other professions. These are things that I lived. They're things that I've lived. Nobody's going to tell me how to write what I've lived. I know that they weren't in the hospital with me. They didn't wake up and get blood drawn every morning and have to get weighed and have to sit on, you know, in this day room for eight hours a day and, and have your, what you basically were awarded dictated by your BMI. And, and just like same thing with you. You know, don't worry about people calling you out. I mean, unless you're just lascivious about some of this stuff, and and you're all over the place, and you're making fake, you know, fake claims, and and what have you. But the point is, write what you know. Don't try to be Brene Brown or you know some other writer. You know, don't try to be your favorite writer. Write what you know. You know, Stephen King tells a story about a problem he had with a motorcycle once. He had a motorcycle, and and he took it out to this farm because he heard this guy. Uh, you know, was really good at fixing them. He had this unique method and what have you. And by the time he got there, the motorcycle was barely running and the garage door opens. And the biggest St. Bernard, he's, I think he said it was like 250 pounds comes running out and starts growling at Stephen King. I mean, drool from the dog is pooling onto the ground and the owner comes out. The owner was the mechanic and he's like, Hey, relax. He's a friendly dog. And right then it lunged at Stephen King, but thankfully the owner intervened, grabbed the dog, looked up at Stephen King and said, damn, Buster must not have liked your face. And, you know, Stephen King was like, I was I was appalled and I was shaken. You know, I thought I was going to get an apology. And he's like, thankfully things calmed down. The guy's fixed my motorcycle. The guy fixed my motorcycle. And I went on to write a book called Cujo. And if you're not familiar, it, Cujo is about, you know, uh, this like killer dog. It's one of Stephen King's most popular horror novels. The point is, is good story ideas aren't to be found or good book ideas, but to be recognized when they show up, you know, think about your life there. There's no Island of great ideas. Think about your life and what you actually experience. And when you write about it, that's how that voice comes through and you can't fake it. You can't, I'll tell you this right now, My next book is not going to be for everybody. It's got a very different tone to conscious coaching. I'm using some words that some in the leadership and coaching community are going to scoff at. They're going to be taken aback. Yeah, guys, there's some cussing in my next book, and it's not cussing for the sake of cussing any more than one of your favorite musicians creates a different style of album to explore different avenues of music, right? There's stylistic evolution in things and it can fit the times. But the point is, is, you know, you've got to figure out what works for you so you can inject that voice. Okay. Let's move on to editing and formatting. Cause we get a lot of questions about this too. Don't make the mistake of thinking your friends are your editors. One of the first things I did when I wrote conscious coaching is, Hey, can you read this? Can you take a look at this? Can you give me your opinion? Man, what a dumb mistake that was on my part you know, it's well-intentioned, just like, I'm sure if you've done that with your friends, it's well-intentioned. It's all good. I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm saying why it's a dumb mistake is, you know, and I want to be careful how I say this at the end of the day, you know, this, these are not people that have the time, temperament, or talent usually to do the type of editing you need, or to give you the kind of feedback you need. You know, when you're asking friends for, they're going to read it they got busy lives and sure. They might be interested in it. I don't know. Maybe your friend's an editor in that case. Don't listen to anything I say, but by the time they actually usually get around to reading it, you'll likely have changed things anyway. You will. And so it's okay if you want to share some parts of it with your significant other or, um, you know, a close friend, but don't, don't make the mistake of thinking like, you know, Oh, I've shared it with 10 friends. So I got this great idea. Uh, 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 bad idea. You need to hire an editor You have to hire an editor. And one of the biggest mistakes, somebody once told me, yeah, I'm paying about, found this great editor, you know, they're only going to charge me a hundred bucks. And I'm like, uh, how long is your book? Well, about 80,000 words. And I'm like a hundred bucks. Hey man, you might want to be careful. You know, you generally get what you pay for. No, no, no. This person, person flakes out. Of course, a hundred dollars to edit 80,000 words. Are you crazy? No. I remember one piece of advice I got is like, if nothing else, do not skimp on the editor. I had a friend that paid an editor around $2,000 and it was not enough. I go, really? That wasn't enough? They're like, listen, I I promise you don't. And they're right. Because if there's grammatical issues or syntax issues, this lives your entire life. Or you're going to have to pay somebody to do it over. And do you have that time? Do you, you know, do you, you'll have to take it off Amazon. You'll have to, you know, if you, if you use a traditional publisher, you're not going to be able to get that back. I mean, a traditional publisher will give you an editor. We'll talk about that in a moment, but if you self-publish, man, if there are, if there's issues grammatically, Amazon will take that right down and you're going to be back at square one. So you've got to hire an editor and you can contract this out. It might be somebody, you know, in your network, you can go to websites like Upwork or I'm sure Indeed, and if these websites, you know, if you're listening to this podcast 10 years from now, I'm just giving examples of websites where independent contractors live, right? So you can look up and Google or whatever exists 25 years from now, hey, where can I find a book editor, and things will come up and and just kind of vet that. But expect to pay at least $1,000 US and as much as $10,000, depending on- your book and, and all these things. I'm trying to give you guys a range. I'm trying to give you a range so you have clear expectations, okay? And this is if you self-publish and and that's coming, so stay with me. And then you've also got to think about, you're, you're going to end up hiring somebody that's going to format your book. You know, because remember, this is going to be a regular book. It's probably going to be an ebook, book And, uh, you know, you have to format the pages in a certain way. Otherwise, once again, Amazon or wherever you upload this to will not allow it. I remember when I thought I was done, my manuscript was edited, we had the page numbers down, table of contents, everything was clean and the right margins, and then we uploaded it into what was called CreateSpace at the time, now it's Kindle Direct Publishing, and it just garbled it all up page 59 was where page 113 should be the page numbers that were at the bottom like amazon wanted were now in the upper right hand corner there were all these issues so me and two different editors that i hired were scrambling trying to figure this out i'm i you know i'm working a full time job at this point literally from 6am to like 7:30pm so it's at night when i'm trying to figure this out and this is after 3 years of writing the damn thing so you know we had to learn you know, when you format, there's all kinds of platforms that will mess things up and everything has to be a specific way. I mean, it's amazing guys. And, and even then there's, there's nothing foolproof. There were times where people got early copies of my book and an image was faded. And somebody even got one that was printed upside down early on. And I'm on the phone with Amazon screaming at them, you know, because like now that, that person had a bad experience with the book, you know? And so, There's just a lot of those back-end things that come, so it helps to have somebody that can help you format. You could just ask, you know, hey, I know you edit. Can you also help with formatting? If they can't, somebody will be able to, and and usually those kinds of folks will know somebody in their network. But giving you the heebie-jeebies yet? Told you, this is deep. Let's look at cover design. All right, so we've talked about some writing things, some editing, some formatting, cover design. People. Will 1000% judge a book by its cover That's why books have covers That's why books have covers That people spend a ton of time and money designing If somebody doesn't care about the presentation Of the very first thing Their audience will see It generally offers a lens into other aspects Now, I get the quote guys Are there books that have crap covers and good books? Yep Are there, are there books that have beautiful covers and they're, you know, crap books? I hopefully I didn't repeat what I just said. Yep. But we're talking about your book, your book. People will judge a book by its cover. I knew we had a winning cover for conscious coaching when people started asking for t-shirts with the logo on it. And we give a portion of proceeds of those t-shirt sales to charity every year, but we started making t-shirts And it was, you know, it was was daunting because we, I don't, I didn't know anything about this. We found some place and they're like, well, it's going to be 15 or $18 a shirt. And we do a minimum order of, of 300. And I'm like, Liz, my wife, I'm like, we, uh, we don't, we can't store this inventory. I mean, we literally had to, we ended up doing it, taking a risk. We turned an entire room of our house into, uh, an inventory area, which is terrifying by the way, because, you know, you, you just give that stuff away, and every time you do it's 1315 and and but then people started buying it like crazy. People wanted the logo from conscious coaching, they're wearing it as their favorite gym shirt and whatever and so think about it that way like would somebody actually want to wear your cover? And that doesn't have to be the lone determinant. That's that's just giving you guys an example, right? Would this stand out on a bookshelf? You know, is what what is something that stylistically is going to make it look unique? You want to do that. You want to think about that, and you can get help with that. Again, just you got to find Graphic Designer if you're self-publishing, and I'm going to talk about the difference in self-publishing and why I keep saying, oh, you'll need to do this if self-publishing and not at traditional publishing in a minute. But you can look at things like 99 Designs, Design Pickle. You can find independent contractors on Upwork like I just mentioned. Uh, there's so many different things, and and this will cost you generally anywhere from $300 to as much as $5,000. Again, it's very, it just depends what you guys want. And this is U.S. But remember, like, I'm urging you because people typically don't, they want to do things quick and cheap and easy. And that is an awful way to approach writing a book. It's an awful way because you're not going to get rich off writing a book. I've told you that at the time of this recording, we're around 200,000 copies sold. Guys, like, you're not a millionaire off writing a book. Uh Uh-uh. Anybody that writes a book will tell you that. Is it nice residual income if it sells? sure is it is it all of a sudden like boom hey bronson my son college college is paid for buddy no chance right so like just understand this thing right this is something this is the ultimate bearing your soul and it's going to cost you a lot and there's no guarantee you'll make any of it back that's that's the route okay let's talk about publishing routes and i'm going to do something uncustomary on the podcast i'm going to grab a quick drink of water cuz i've been sick and i don't want my throat to go dry so hold up one moment all right. Publishing routes. Before we launch into this, if anything else I've said, uh, you're like, well, I want to dive more deeply into this. Cause I know we're kind of hitting key points. Uh, originally people just asked me to do one on self-publishing versus traditional, but we, other folks asked about writing, but if there's something that you're like, no, 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 I want more details on a certain tactic that you said, just a reminder, go to articcoaching.com forward slash channels. Or you can join our coalition group mentoring program, which is six months of direct mentoring on any goal problem of your choice. That's at artofcoaching.com forward slash coalition. This is a quick pop, pop, pop. And if you have deeper questions, we'll get into it on one of those areas. So check them out. All right. Should you go with self-publishing or the traditional route? The million dollar question. The reason we did this episode. What you're going to have to ask yourself is what is your primary goal? If you want full creative control of your book, if you want to own the rights to your work, the written rights, the audio rights, if you do an audio book, if you want to own the rights domestically and abroad, and you want to maximize whatever profit you might generate, self-publishing is the best. And it still allows you to reach international audiences, get your book on Audible, Kindle, et cetera. Okay, I would urge you to go the self publishing route if you want those things. There's going to be limitations, and this might change over time depending on when you're listening to this podcast. When I wrote Conscious Coaching, there are some book snobs that were like, oh, I don't read anything other than hardcover. Hmm. And unfortunately, Amazon and their publishing route did not allow for self publishers to do hardcover, that's not an option. Now, thankfully that was a very small percent of 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 people and uh it didn't really impact anything but like people would legitimately, you know, at well why didn't you do it hardcover? I'm like, yo, they didn't give you the option. Like that's not that wasn't us. And uh I mean it is a bit of a pain because not only did I have to have a graphic designer for the cover and interior page designer, all those things uh for the main book but we had to also do a separate cover image and interior for the Kindle version and everything else. So it it would drive you nuts when somebody would say, hey, is your book on Kindle? And you had just spent another $3,000 to design everything you just designed for, your, for the hard copy of your book on Kindle. And you're like, yep. And then somebody would be like, hey, is it on Google Books? And you're like, wait a minute, what? Like, what is Google, like, what is Google books? And then somebody would say, Hey, are you on, I'm going to make up a word. Are you on blanket books? And people don't understand that if you literally all, all these things come with their own rigid rules about interior design and cover design. I mean, literally it's, it's insane. It has to be a certain ratio, a certain DPI. And I'm like, really Amazon, you can't just take the image of the cover for the hard copy of the book and do the same thing for Kindle and no, you cannot. And the interior is different. All these things are different. So let that, even if you're not thinking about writing a book, let that be a lesson to you. If you're that person that reaches out and some new piece of technology comes out where you're like, oh, can you do it on? Like, this isn't just a click print, you know, thing and, and it's all that easy. Uh, one, one other detriment though of, of self-publishing is Audible. Man, have I been looking to tell this story for a while. So it was a full year before Conscious Coaching came out, before Audible, the Audible version. And then people got mad at me because I didn't read it. I didn't read my own book. Now, here's something, insider information, that nobody's told you. Guys, when you reach out, and, and this might change by the time you know, you're know you writing your book or listen to this, but when, when it comes to audiobooks, okay— Think about your favorite author, like a big name author that you've heard about again and again and again. I always just tend to use the example of like Ryan Holiday, because I know a lot of folks really love Ryan Holiday's work that that tend to be in our community. Um, But there, you know, any author, guys, it can be fiction, nonfiction. What you generally don't know is that when those individuals write a book, their publishers, their literary agents, their team, secure them with a studio and editors. And and by the way, these people have been paid in advance, right? Like to do their narration. They basically get a show up and everything's laid out for them. They don't have to edit it. There's no backend. There's no nothing. They're paid for their time, you know, locked and loaded, good to go. When you self-publish, none of that is the case. You know, I reached out to Audible and they said, here you go. And they give you details of if you're recording, It has to be at this volume. It has to be, you know, a certain decibel level throughout. There can be no, so if a plane went overhead, and we lived in downtown Atlanta all the time, there were always police sirens going. I mean, literally, if my wife in the background was like, hey, babe, and she didn't know, or there was the slightest bit of echo, and it wasn't edited out, Audible would not accept the submission, right? So you, like not only did you have to have a certain recording quality, and at the time I didn't have these microphones, like I was going to have to spend probably over a thousand dollars just to get this audio equipment. We had just moved across the country. I didn't even know if the book was going to sell anything like that. And, uh, we just, we didn't have that. I mean, I was coaching full time. There was no way to do this. And, uh, you know, people just don't get that you know, they don't get it. And if it's something where you're resolute and you want to do it and you do have the time, I urge you to go online. People have done tons of YouTube videos on how to do your own audible narration. Hopefully it's easier uh, now, but anyway, you know, so what we had to do then is Audible is like, Hey, we have people that are approved through audible. They can do this for you. Check it out. So I go in there and they, they have you, and I'm giving you a lot of really good information to consider here, guys. They they say, well, how do you want you know the the narrator to sound, and what type of book, and you've got to upload an example, uh, like you know, a sample chapter or whatever, so that they can audition. There's like 500 choices, right? And then the next day, your email will just bombarded, uh, or or your Audible account through voice actors or narrators submitting their take. So I remember we woke up one day, we had like 450 we had to go through. They're all reading the same part of the book. And it could be, it could be anybody from, and, and I'm just going to read, I'm just going to make something up. I'll, uh, if you want to be the best coach possible, then go to artofcoaching.com, right? That might be somebody who's, or it could be like, if you want to be the best coach possible, go to artofcoaching.com. That person has a Western voice, or you could say, you know, I want somebody that is sad and somber. If you want to be the best coach possible, go to artofcoaching.com, right? And so all these people are submitting and you're like, well, I don't like that. I do like this. I think I like that or what have you. Eventually you make your choice and you got to roll with it you know, you're, this is a professional. Now I remember we had a lot of, uh, folks that, that contributed to conscious coaching that were international. And little did I know the gentleman that did our narration, he would try to do some of those dialects and accent. Now, some people were like, dude, I loved it. You had to love the guy. He, he really tried. And then others were like, well, I thought that was annoying. And these are the same things you're going to have to deal with. You were going to have to live and die by every choice, but it always drove me nuts when people would say, Kevin Hart narrated his own book. Why didn't you? I'm like, Kevin Hart had a little different situation. And by the way, we chose our guy because he sounded like Henry, Cav- Henry Cavill in Superman. Pretty straightforward, easy to understand. But uh, that's why I always like talking to other self-published authors. They get this stuff. So to recap, if you self-publish, that's great. You'll have more creative control, own the rights to your work domestically and abroad. You'll maximize whatever profit you do make, but you are are going to hire, have to hire at least a editor, a copy editor, a cover designer, an interior page designer, and then possibly a narrator, right? That is self-publishing. If your goal is to enhance the chances of you reaching the broadest audience possible, meaning one that you couldn't really reach through your own networks, or you just want to see your physical, like physical copies of your book in an actual bookstore or an airport, then the traditional publishing route is your best aim. Now, some caveats here, of course, there are always new kind of publishers that come into the game and and might be able to provide you with a unique hybrid. Um, And then you're going to have some situations where, you know, my book happened to have crossed over, which is great, but that's not always super common. But the point is, is, you know, the traditional publishing route can also lead to things like receiving financial advances to write your book. One of my friends is a very well-known author. You know, when he submits a book, a book proposal for his last one, he got paid in advance of, uh, I'll make, you know, I'll give you a ballpark cause, but $250,000 guys, the publisher gave him $250,000 and said, this is your life just write, write the book. And we hear this in in music all the time. People are given advances by their record label or what have you, but that, that's something that a traditional publishing route. Now, if you're a first time author, you ain't getting $250,000 guys, you're not, you know, and and we'll talk about that in a moment. Just stay with me. But what I'm saying is like, literally choose your favorite author right now. And you, you can pretty much, the range could be anywhere from two hundred thousand dollars to even short of a million now that gets worked into they don't see any more money through royalties until that advance has been recouped so let's say you got a three hundred thousand dollar advance and your book only uh made let's say well only you know let's say your book sold uh overall three hundred and thirty thousand dollars well like you you don't get anything else until you've cleared that three hundred now. You might say, well, do I owe money on, like, if it doesn't sell, that's going to be dependent on the publisher. And I have no experience on that. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk to that, but, um, you can get financial advances to write your book. You can also have access to an entire creative team. Might the same friend that I mentioned, he's got 15 people on the back end that help him. You know, this, this includes graphic designers, people in marketing. They have a team of editors because a publisher, right? Their main thing a traditional publisher is they want to sell a lot of damn books. So they have armies upon armies of people. They don't have to, they don't have to outsource at all. They're are for like, so if you're looking at Harper Collins or penguin books or what have you, they have a whole team whose job it is to make your book as marketable as possible, right? That can save you a lot of work, but at the same time you give up some of your creative control. It just is what it is, and and you could say, well, "Yeah," but they probably know better, and that ain't always the case. They might know better in terms of what sells, but then all of a sudden, you might end up with a really cheesy book that's not your voice anymore because it meets the you know the the demographic of the average, the masses, but may lose a lot of your voice. You know, do you want that? A lot of people worry about selling out. You're going to have to give or take in some way or another, right? Like you can either be the purist and, and do self-publishing and have to bite the bullet in a lot of ways, or you can go with a traditional publisher, but guess what? Your words and, and maybe even the title of your book or what have you are going to get manipulated. They are. Most, most people don't even keep the same title of their book. So that's a huge thing. Uh, if you want your book on Audible, they might even set you up. So all you got to do is show up like the people that we mentioned, and they'll also market for you. And they'll get you on podcasts that will help promote your book, right? So that's the case with, like, folks with, uh, let's use, uh, well, I won't use names, but a famous actor just you know, at the, near the time of this recording came out with a book. Next thing you know, they're on Joe Rogan. They're on uh, Rich Roll. They're on, I mean, name name the podcast and they're on it. That's the agent and the publisher getting those things going. How do I know? I've had people on my show that, and I've had interactions with people that are coming on the show in the future that this is what we've talked about. So, you know, it's, it's funny that all helps them sell books, but it's amazing what people don't know on the background, you know, and they can get really frustrated. Well, why aren't I on so-and-so show? Well, you don't have an agent, you know, you're generally going to have to have a literary agent or a book agent to even get on that. These people's emails. I mean, guys, I'm nobody, I'm a nobody. And on average we get 30 to 40 podcast guest request forms a month you know, um, and, and like, that's only going up one month. We had close to 60 and, uh, not everybody makes it on. Not, it's not based on who we like and who we don't like it's who it's a fit. And is it the right timing? Is it the right message? You know, and, and the format of the show, we also want to do some solo stuff. So know that as well. There's a lot of advantages there. One thing you do want to know that I think most people that, well, I've never heard a podcast episode on what I'm telling you guys, but anything is if you are going to reach out to a publisher or a literary agent, you're going to have to put together a book proposal. Also something I didn't know when I first wrote Conscious Coaching. Book proposals are to books as heat is to cooking or business plans are to businesses. They're they're essential in many ways. And so a book proposal, and it may look different depending on a lot of things, but essentially there's, you know, an overview where you're going to describe your book in two to three paragraphs. It may be 500 words or less, you know, what's the title, what's the subtitle, who's your audience, what makes your book unique, you know, wh- why is it going to be worthwhile? You know, think of this as a co- as copy that would go on the back of your book, right? Or anything like that, or, or something that you'd like to see in Publishers Weekly or the New York Times, right? That's you're going to have to give an overview. You're going to have to talk about your core audience. Who's the most likely purchasers of this book? The reason is again, if you're if you're seeking out representation of a traditional publisher, they need to know like does this person have any idea what they're doing? Is this a viable thing? Do they have people that would actually buy it? They don't want to lose money on you. How big's that market? I got absolutely cover your ears if you don't like bad language. 3 2 I got absolutely shit on when I talked to a literary agent about conscious coaching because at the time I was in strength and conditioning. That was all only what I did. And this individual literally said to me, like, I don't even understand what you do. Are you a personal trainer? This guy was eating spaghetti by the gob fools. While he was talking to me, not even giving me the time of day. And I said, well, listen, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be humble. I'm like, I'm no Brene Brown. I'm I'm just trying to say I have this book. And, and he goes, what'd you just say? I'm not joking guys. And I repeated it and he goes, well, then why would I want to work with you? You're in a profession that I've never heard of that the average public doesn't understand. And you just told me you're not Brene Brown. You know, my job is to sell books. And that was the first time in my life I had ever experienced when humility became harmful. I mean, I just literally got shut down because of what my job was. And at the time I was having a, a lot of issues because then there were people actually in my field at the time that were bitter that I was writing a book like this because it threatened them. Now, you know, we've all sung Kumbaya and everything since, but like, you know, you're always going to have haters, but I'm just sitting here like, yo, I'm trying to represent strength and conditioning in the performance realm in a, in a bigger, more positive light because most of you suckers just are you on Twitter or Instagram and think that it's going to get you, you know, popular or famous. I'm actually trying to get on the world stage to show people that people in Silicon Valley or folks in the military or academics aren't the only people that know about leadership. We know a thing or two, too. But this guy just shut me down, was having none of it. None of it. Didn't want to hear it. I thought about reaching out to him since, but better things to do. Better things to do. So you're going to have to give them insight about you and comparable titles, how you plan to market it, promote it. I mean, guys, I, I, I'm telling you, you don't just go to like HarperCollins or Penguin Audiobooks and say, hey, I got a book idea. They don't even allow for those kinds of submissions. You have got to like find a literary agent or hope one finds you. Now, like I said, Devil's Advocate, there are, I think, small startup publishers and and nuanced niche publishers that that may be very different. We're talking about kind of like the big dogs, the ones that, you know, generally publish the books that, you know, you can count that anytime you uh, see somebody on TV and they have something on the back of their shelf and like the most common ones that you see on like the New York times bestselling list, which that's also can be a ruse by the way, you know, because a lot of these publishers, there's tricks to get books on the New York times bestseller list anyway. All right. So we've covered self-publishing, traditional publishing, how we're going to finish this off guys is marketing you know, you're going to have to market stuff. Sorry. You know, if if you're uncomfortable doing that, um, I, I remember reading in a book once it says, you know, who determines a single standard of what artistic audience and credibility should be. And what the author's point was, is, uh, listen, you, there are a lot of fields out there. And a lot of you as listeners have said, Hey, you know, if I do put myself out there, I'm usually looked at as, uh, kind of a, a sellout and a guru. Listen, your inner hipster critic can't and shouldn't hold you back. Sorry. What's more important, guys? You telling the world about something that you wrote that you think can make a difference or sitting in there and appeasing, you know, the the 1% of people who are going to be like, mm, she's a sellout now. Who cares? You know, marketing's not evil. It's oxygen. It's the way of things. If you have something of value that can help people, you have a responsibility to share it. If you build it, and it will uh, it will come that makes for nice movie magic not real life 95%. Listen, 95% of the books that are written never sell. And I don't mean like never sell like a thousand copies. I mean don't sell anything or next to nothing other than like the family members that bought it or the person who bought a bunch of copies of their own book so they can give them out. Right? Like that's just reality. You know, and you already sell yourself on every day. Like you sell yourself on, hey, I'm capable to write a book. I'm capable to do this, whatever. So you're going to have to do that. And you're going to have to learn how to speak to your stuff with passion, excitement, and purpose, and pragmatism. You're going to have to get over that kind of stuff. You know, the irony is, because we're talking about books, selling is storytelling. You know, you're not selling a thing. You're focused on telling a great story about the problem the thing solves. I'd love to tell you what my next book's about. Not there yet, not there yet, but it solves a very, well, you know, it solves a very specific problem. That's not my way of saying it's the Holy grail. I'm saying it addresses something that needs to be discussed, right? Something this, this should be great art is something that should be debated guys. You don't want to write something that everybody just loves and feels great about. no. You want people to feel a little bit divided on this. You want some people to love it and say, this was needed. You want other people to be like, nah, that wasn't my, uh-uh. Like, I didn't like that. That wasn't it. You want people talking about this thing because that means that it's honest. If, if it's just something that, like, you write and, and like, everybody wants, oh, I hope everybody loves it, It's you were dishonest. You were. I, I've said this on my social media. I know I know my next book, people are going to be like, wasn't as good as his first one. He should stay in his lane. Can't believe he wrote a second book, blah, 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 You know, and the next one, well, you know, just like my first one, but even more so has zero to do with strength and conditioning and performance. It has everything to do with, well, can't go there. Point is, is make it a little bit divisive. Make it honest. It is. And when you tell this story about something that's honest and comes from a battle tested place. That is the ultimate antidote for short attention spans. People will talk because they care because they've read something that it is evident that you care about. It's gotta mean something to somebody's life. It's gotta mean something to somebody's life. People don't buy products. They buy, they buy something that resonates with them, that they identify with, that they see themselves in. I had no idea how many people would relate to my story of my hospitalization. I had people writing in that were drug addicts and sex addicts and anorexics and bulimics and people that had thought about committing suicide and all this stuff. And like you have to open yourself up to that to a degree. And if you haven't experienced something like traumatic like that, like, don't worry, that's, that's fine. You don't have to like have been shot or done anything like, but like your work should still be honest and visceral and tangible. Okay. That is important. You've got a marketing uh, it is about reaching as many people as possible and whether it's done ethically or not, that's your choice. Like it should be right. But you don't, you don't like, I remember one quote uh, and ironically, this is from Ryan holiday. He said that he learned it from somebody named Herb Cohen. He said, "You're it's better off with a great salesman and a mediocre product than with a masterpiece and a moron to sell it. Now, of course you don't want either of those. Why don't you make a great product and actually know how to talk about it? and do so without guilt, all right? Do so without guilt. You just gotta be able to find your audience. All right, there you have it. The only thing we haven't covered is critics, Uh, they'll come. And while we should all absolutely be open to both good and bad feedback, sadly, most critics have a level of perspective that can best be described as something that comes with the furniture. Meaning it's one thing to receive criticism from people that have put themselves out into the world and have skin in the game and another to receive it was somebody that has a private account, a fake name and an avatar, right? I've been threatened on YouTube by some guy that had like uh, uh, a wolf as his, uh, avatar. And his name was like a superhero alias, you know, or there's people that will want to leave one star reviews and they're not even verified purchasers or they're literally so unhappy with themselves that they'll purchase it just so they can leave a negative review. That's crazy, but that's the battlefield you're entering. Not everybody's going to love your book. If you want everybody to love what you do, go sell ice cream. And even then somebody's going to go, but I'm lactose intolerant. Not going to happen. Stuff comes with the territory and it's always the man or the woman or however you identify in the arena that counts. You know, For more guidance on stuff like this, guys, whether it's business coaching, communication, writing books, life in general, again, I'd urge you to go to artofcoaching.com forward slash coalition. All this is in the show notes, whether it's artofcoaching.com forward slash channels or artofcoaching.com forward slash coalition. These are our most interactive communities where we can take action on this stuff that we're learning, and it's a safe place to fail. I'm not saying that it's like a safe place to fail around people that will help you with your ideas and in a respectful way, also call you out on some bullshit that you may not see. It's an accountability piece there. It's a conversation piece. We all benefit from that. And if you can't accept that, again, I'd question how much you want to write a book because once that sucker's out there, if you're not willing to have uncomfortable conversations about it and iterate and iterate and iterate, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Brett Bartholomew, Art of Coaching Podcast appreciate you. Send this to a friend and tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Until next time.